Canto 8, Chapter 8 More appears from the churning, Mother Lakshmi and Danvantari. Shri Shuka said, When the poison had been drunk by him who rides the bull, Lord Shiva, the immortals and Dhanavas gladly resumed the churning of the ocean quickly, whereupon the cow of plenty appeared named Surabi, the source of the ghee. The sages, conversant with the injunctions for the yaknyas, took care of her, O king, for she was useful for the divine sacrifices because of her clarified butter. Next, a horse as wide as the moon manifested, named Uchai Shrava, that Maharaj Bali liked to have, while Indra desisted from claiming it on the advice of the Lord. Thereafter, the king of resistance, the elephant Airavata, appeared, that, with its four tusks, defied the glories of the white mountain Kailasa, the abode of the first devotee, Lord Shiva. The first of eight elephants manifesting for each direction of the sky was named Airavana. Also, a group of eight she-elephants appeared that was headed by one named Abramu, O King. Then, a valuable lotus-yield gem known as the Kaustuba jewel was generated from the white expanse of milk. Lord Hari, who desired to possess it, decorates his chest with it. Thereupon the Parijata tree was generated that adorns the heavenly places and that, just as you who like to fulfill the wishes of all, fulfills every wish on this planet by providing whatever that is wanted, O King. Next, the Apsaras were generated, the extremely beautiful and attractive inhabitants of heaven who, exquisitely dressed and decorated with gold, smoothly moving around, divert everyone's heart. After that had happened, the goddess of splendor, Rama, or Lakshmi, manifested in person. With her lightning luster, she, as bright as Sardamani mountain, illumined along with the Lord all the directions. Each Sura, Asura, and human being desired her, for the magnificent beauty of her features, youth, complexion, and glories had caught their minds. The great Indra, brought a glorious, wonderful seat for her, and the most sacred rivers and reservoirs assumed a personal form by filling golden water-pots with pure water. The land offered all the herbs needed for installing the deity. The cows contributed with their five pure products, milk, yogurt, ghee, dung and urine, and springtime delivered fresh flowers and fruits. The sages performed the bathing ceremony as prescribed, the Gandharvas sang the all-auspicious mantras, and their wives danced and sang along. From the clouds, two-sided drums vibrated, kettle drums, murajas and anakas, and that created, combined with the sounds of bugles, conch shells, flutes and venas, a great tumult. While the twice-born souls, the Brahmins, were singing hymns, the elephants next poured jugs full of sacred water over the chaste goddess so beautiful with the lotus in her hand. The ocean presented yellow silks for her to dress from top to toe, and Varuna offered a large garland swarming with bumblebees intoxicated by its sweetness. From Prajapati Vishwakarma there was a choice of ornaments, 
Saraswati, the goddess of learning, supplied a necklace. Lord Brahma provided a lotus flower, and the Nagas, the excellent ones, gave earrings. Thereupon, being worshipped in a ritualistic ceremony, she, radiating a natural beauty with the decoration of the earrings to her cheeks and a coy smile on her face, went around the sacrificial arena with a lotus garland in her hand and the bees about it. With her two symmetrical breasts, her thin waist in harmony, and smeared with sandalwood pulp and kunkuma, she, moving here and there with the sweet tinkling of her ankle bells, appeared exactly like a golden creeper. Looking for a faultless eternal shelter, she could not find a single soul stable in every good quality among the indwellers of heaven, the perfected souls, the unenlightened souls, the keepers of the wealth, the venerable souls, and the rest of all the demigods. She contemplated, when one is certain of one's austerity, one has not yet conquered anger. To have spiritual knowledge does not mean that one is not contaminated by one's association with others, and a great personality might not have conquered material desires. How can a person, controlled by something or someone else like this, be his own master, a master of his senses? Someone might be of Dharma, but is he friendly towards other living beings? Someone can be of renunciation, but he might miss the cause of liberation. A person may have power over people, but still not be liberated from the great force of material nature. Someone may be free from the influence of the modes of nature, but never be a second one, another lord of control and yoga. Someone may live a long time, but still not know how to behave and be happy. Someone may master the art of living, but still not know how to get old. And when someone knows the both of them, such a person still might be unlucky in another respect. Nor is of someone excelling in all walks of life said that he wishes me in my position of devotion unto Vishnu. With these considerations in mind, the goddess of wealth and splendor turned to him, Mukunda, the reservoir of transcendence, who was so desirable and qualified in every way as the husband of her choice, even though he had no desire for it. He, after all, did not depend on others and had the extraordinary, supreme qualities perfect in every respect. After placing on his shoulders a ravishing, fresh garland of lotuses vibrating with humming, maddened bumblebees, she remained, with a shy smile and glittering eyes, at his side with his bosom as her true resort. He, the father of the three departments of the universe, made his bosom the residence of the mother, the goddess, the supreme representative of all opulence. She installed there, mercifully overseeing the three worlds, increases the fortune of his servants and leaders. The servants of the gods and their women, the dancers and singers of heaven, all became engaged in singing and dancing accompanied by the loud sound of musical instruments like conch shells, bugles and drums. Brahma, Shiva and all the directors of the world headed by Angira honored the Supreme Personality by showering flowers and chanting mantras that described his true nature. With the merciful glance of the goddess resting upon the godly souls, the fathers of mankind and their generations, they were all blessed with good conduct and good qualities, 
and thus achieved the ultimate satisfaction. The Daityas and Dhanavas, though, O king, who were neglected by Lakshmi, being depressed in their aching greed, got disheartened and lost all sense of shame. Thereupon Varuni, the goddess of the drunkards, appeared, a young lotus-eyed girl who, with the permission of the Lord, was accepted by the Asuras. With the sons of Kashapa, thereupon again zealously churning the ocean for the nectar, there finally appeared a most wonderful man, O great king. He was tall, youthful, had stout and strong arms, a neck like a conch, a dark skin, reddish eyes, a garland, and was adorned with all kinds of ornaments. Being clad in yellow, with a broad chest, with well-polished jeweled earrings, with gleaming curly locks of hair and decorated with bangles, he, as strong as a lion, came forward with a jar that was filled to the rim with nectar. He was a partial appearance of a part of Lord Vishnu himself, known by the name of Danvantari, who, seeing to medical science, was one of the demigods entitled to a share in the offerings. All the Asuras who saw him with the container full of nectar, greedy after the contents, immediately snatched the pot away. When the pot of nectar was carried away by the Asuras, the demigods were desolate and turned to the Lord for their protection. Seeing them distraught, the Supreme Lord, who always acts according to the desires of his servants, said, Do not grieve. I will personally arrange a dispute among them, so that the nectar will be there for all of you. O Master of Men, there was a quarrel among them, the Asuras, about the nectar in which they, with a thirsting heart, said, Me first, me first, not you, not you. O King, the sons of Diti denied each other constantly, jealous with force, the pot of nectar, to which the weaker ones said, just as each of the gods, having been of an equal effort, deserved an equal share of the nectar, it also applies to us. This is a matter of traditional duties. After this had passed, Lord Vishnu, the supreme controller who has a solution for any problem, assumed the form of a supremely beautiful, wonderful woman who mystified them all. Pleasing to behold, she was as dark as a newly grown lotus. She was of the greatest beauty and harmony in all her limbs. She had a straight nose, fine cheeks and ornamented ears. She had fresh, firm, young but weighty breasts to her thin waist and a blissful expression on her face. She looked a bit anxious because of the humming bumblebees around her. With the mass of her beautiful waving hair and the Malika flower garland about her attractive neck, with the beauty of her arms that were ornamented with the finest jewellery and bengals, with the fair sari spread over her breast that was an island of beauty, and with the belt that covered her waist, she moved about gracefully with her ankle bells. Coyly casting her glances while moving with her eyebrows, she gave rise to a constant lusty desire in the core of the hearts of the Daicha leaders. <laughs> 